you to uh, open your copy of God's Word. It won't be on the screens today, so you'll have to. Ha <laughs> uh, <laughs> Gotcha. Open your Bibles to 1 Peter chapter 2, verses 9 and 10. And uh, also stick a thumb or a finger in Romans chapter 10, verses 13 through 17. 1 Peter is uh, the first of Peter the Apostle's letters to the church scattered in different places uh, around uh, the Roman Empire at the time. It's toward the back of your Bibles, toward the end of the New Testament, 1 Peter chapter 2. And then Romans is one of Paul's letters uh, to the church, uh, his only recorded letter to the church in Rome, but one of his many letters to churches. Romans is going to be a little ways uh, further back to the left in your Bibles, uh, still in the New Testament. Uh, we sang this morning, the first song that we uh, sang, a song called Glorious Day. You called my name, and I came out of that grave. Uh, this idea of God calling to us, summoning us, wooing us to himself, is one of the many aspects of salvation, as we've been looking over the last uh, few weeks, and we'll continue looking for a few weeks more. Two weeks ago, we started in the series of, uh, called Salvation, God's Wonderful Work. Certainly it is God's wonderful work and none of our own. Two weeks ago we began by looking at election, which is uh, God's divine and eternal purpose to save sinners for, to himself and for his glory. Last week we looked at the uh, aspect of salvation called atonement, which is uh, essentially that we, we must have a sacrifice for our sins because the wages of sin is death. Death must be given for sin, but God in His grace has given a means by which we can have a substitute, pay that penalty in our place, that substitute who is Christ. This morning, we're looking at the aspect of salvation that we would call calling. God speaking to people, calling them to Himself. In the course of Scripture, we'll see in a couple of places, primarily today, 1 Peter 2 and Romans chapter 10, this idea fleshed out to us that God calls people summons people, woos sinners by his spirit and through the preaching of the gospel into fellowship with Christ. That's what we mean when we talk about calling in terms of salvation, that God calls people, he calls sinners by his spirit and through the preaching of the gospel into fellowship with Christ. Now, as we see this truth uh, displayed for us in scripture today, we should be certain that the call to salvation is ultimately a divine call. It is God's call. And also that Christians who have heard that call and responded with faith are blessed to repeat and to extend to others who are yet apart from Christ that same call to come to Jesus. So let's look first at 1 Peter chapter 2, verses 9 and 10. Would you stand with me as you're comfortably able as we honor God by reading his word? 1 Peter 2, 9 and 10. I love this passage. Peter writes to the church, but you are a chosen race, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, a people for his own, for God's own possession, that you may proclaim the excellencies of him who called you out of darkness into his marvelous light. Once you were not a people, but now you are God's people. Once you had not received mercy, but now you have received mercy. This is God's word. You may be seated. When we think about salvation, it is God's plan to rescue sinners from their sin for himself through the atoning, through the, the, the uh, uh, 
sacrifice of his son that brings forgiveness of sins to those that God calls to himself. God calls people by his spirit and through the preaching of the gospel into fellowship with Christ. From 1 Peter chapter 2, verses 9 and 10, we see, first of all, that this call, the call to salvation, is a divine call. It's a call that originates in God, that it comes from God to people. This passage of 1 Peter chapter 2, verses 9 and 10, is at first really encouraging for the Christian. Because here, Christians are identified as God's intentionally chosen covenant people. Did you catch that? The whole of verse 9 comes right out of God's word to the Hebrews in Exodus chapter 19. After God brought them out of slavery in Egypt, he said that they would be, as he delivered them from slavery, a chosen race, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, a people for his own possession. So what Peter is saying to Christians here in this verse is that they comprise the new covenant people of God in the fullest sense in which Israel was the old covenant people of God. And then Peter goes a step further to say that Christians, that the, that the church, are the chosen covenant people of God to, for, for a purpose. And that purpose is to proclaim His excellencies in all the earth. So God does not call people just, you know, because He feels like it. He calls them to a purpose. But don't overlook in verse 9 how Peter describes God in that verse. He is the one who, what, called us out of darkness into his marvelous light. Don't overlook that phrase. This little phrase packs a big punch when it comes to the reality of our salvation. To be saved is to go from slavery to sin to loving service to God. It is to go from death to life. It is to go from the darkness of rebellion to the marvelous light of God's righteousness and glory. In this way, salvation is a truly transformative event. It changes everything about us. And it changes us in all the best ways. And all of it, notice, is initiated by God who calls to, who summons, who woos. I love that word, woos. That sounds like what boys do to girls to try to get them to marry them, right? They woo them. Right? God woos us. He, he displays all that is wonderful about himself in perceptible ways to us that we might respond with love toward him. God initiates this call, this summons, this wooing to wayward sinners to come to Christ and to faith. It comes from him. He is the one who calls us out of darkness into his marvelous light. Friends, the Bible is clear. In our sin and apart from Christ, we do not seek God, nor do we seek to be made right with God. If anyone does seek God, if anyone does seek forgiveness, and if anyone does desire to be united to Christ and, and declared right with God, it's because God has drawn them to do so. In fact, two Old Testament prophets, Isaiah in Isaiah chapter 6 and Jeremiah in Jeremiah chapter 5, both speak to the spiritual blindness, the spiritual deafness, the spiritual hardness of heart that every person lives in apart from God's work in them. The truth is this, for us to see our need for salvation, for us to be able to hear, and not just hear, but listen to the call of the gospel, for us to trust Christ with our hearts, we need God to 
open our eyes. We need God to unstop our ears. We need God to soften our hearts, hardened by our own willful rebellion against Him in invisible and inscrutable ways, doing all of this to overcome our sinful nature that is to run from Him. If we are to run to God, we need Him to overcome our sinfulness with His grace and His love and to call us, to summon us, to woo us to Himself. Jesus says as much in John chapter 6, verse 44. Jesus says to the crowd that He had been teaching and walking among for some days, He says, No one can come to Me unless the Father who sent Me draws him, and I will raise him up on the last day. If we take Jesus seriously at his word, he says, no one can come to me unless the Father who sent me draws him. The call to salvation is a divine call. It starts with God. We see it also on display in kind of in real time in Paul's ministry. In Acts chapter 16, Paul and his ministry partner Silas are are working like all around the, the Greek and Roman world, and they make their way to the city called Philippi. And there at Philippi, they find a, a group of, of women who are worshipers of God, which means they have some sort of reverence for God, but we, we, they're not Jews, and they certainly aren't Christians. And they get together for a kind of a prayer meeting alongside the river. And Paul and Silas go there and because they hear that there's a prayer meeting, and they're like, hey, we want to go, and so we can share the gospel with people who are there. And while they're there, uh, they meet a woman named Lydia. Lydia is a, a wealthy woman, a seller of purple cloth. She is uh, quite the entrepreneur and, uh, and business person in her day. Hear how Luke, the ministry partner of Paul, writes about how Lydia responded to the gospel. Acts chapter 16, verse 40, 14. One who heard us was a woman named Lydia from the city of Thyatira, a seller of purple goods who was a worshiper of God. The Lord opened her heart to pay attention to what was said by Paul. And after that, she believes, she is baptized, along with those that are in her house who also come to faith. And the church, uh, a, a church is planted there in the city of Philippi in the home of this woman, Lydia. The Lord opened her heart to pay attention to what was said by, by Paul. No one can come to me unless the Father who sent me draws him. He called us out of darkness into his marvelous light. The call to salvation, the call to trust Jesus, the call to have faith in him who gave his son to die for our sins is a call that originates from God. None of us seeks God on our own unless God or until God first calls out to us. This is kind of a hard thing, I think, to understand, and perhaps we all experience it in different ways, particularly as Christians. Maybe not all of us would, would put ourselves in the, the shoes of like Lydia, who all of a sudden has a spiritual, I don't know, kind of uh, awakening, and, and, and she's able to hear the gospel. And maybe a way she, well, obviously she'd not ever heard it before, but she's able to hear the truth of the gospel with a certain kind of clarity that, that draws her to faith almost immediately. I don't know how that's played out in the life of, in your life, Christian, but here's how it played out in my life, this divine call of God to come to himself. When I was six years old, my uh, family and I were attending another church here in town. It used to be called Fruit Avenue Baptist Church, and now it's a uh, bilingual church, uh, still in the same location in uh, downtown Albuquerque. And uh, I'm not sure what all had been happening in my life up to that point, but I, I know that having been in Sunday school and kind of grown up in church, I'd been exposed to the gospel. I'd been exposed to the truth of who Jesus was, that I was a sinner, that I needed uh, Jesus as my Savior to uh, forgive me of my sins, that He died on the cross in my place, that He was 
raised again from the dead so that I would, if I trusted him, be right with God. And at six years old, and uh, one August Sunday morning, we a family was there in church, and the pastor preached his regular message. I don't remember what that sermon was, so um, kids, you who grew up and don't remember any of my sermons, it's all right. <laughs> don't remember what his sermon was, but at the end of uh, uh, the sermon, he had an invitation, kind of an altar call to people who, who felt that they needed to respond to Jesus in faith. And so we stood to sing the invitation hymn, and I remember standing there behind the pew, holding on to the back of the pew in front of me, and I, I don't know what conversations we were having before, I don't really remember that, but I do remember my dad looking down to me and saying, son, do you want to go forward and, 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 uh, and trust Jesus? Do you want to go pray with the pastor and give your life to Christ? And I remember in that moment looking up at my dad, looking him square in the eyes and saying, nope. I didn't. I had no desire. I had no desire to go trust Jesus that morning. I didn't. And, and not because I didn't believe that anything was true. I just, I didn't feel like I needed to go give my life to Jesus that morning. We went, and, and my dad was great and incredibly gracious. Like, that's all right. You know, he's, he's leaving that in the Lord's hands to me. And parents, by the way, that's a good example. Please, please, please don't force your children to make a commitment to Christ that they're not ready to make yet. We went home that Sunday, did our normal Sunday afternoon stuff, lunch, nap, whatever. We went back, there's a Sunday evening service, and a pastor preached another sermon. I don't remember that one either. <laughs> and we stood to, uh, to sing an, an invitation hymn. The pastor gave another call to come and trust Christ to anybody who uh, would want to. I still remember what I was wearing. I was wearing some green shorts that were probably a little bit too short. I don't, it was the 80s. I don't remember anything else I was wearing, but I remember those green shorts. They had a little keychain thing on the belt loop. It was weird. Anyway, but I remember the invitation call, the call to come and trust Christ. And, as, and, and, and here's how, I can't explain it any other way than this way. As we stood to sing that song, something gripped me. Something changed. Something in my heart was turned, opened, softened, made to see. I don't know. But something was different. And I knew immediately at that moment that I had no choice or that there was no other possible choice or, or desirable choice than to trust Jesus. And as the, the pianist, who may have been my mom that night, I don't remember, started playing, I looked up at my dad, uh, unprovoked, and said, I'm going. And I went. But... The, the call to salvation is a divine call. Christian, I don't, this, is how it, this is how it played out in my life. That morning, I didn't want to go. That night, I was compelled by something outside of me to do nothing but go and give my life to Christ. The call to salvation is a divine call. No one comes to me unless the Father who sent me draws him, Jesus says. Jesus, through the Father, through the Spirit, called me to himself that night. This idea of God calling people to salvation was there when we started this series a couple of weeks ago. You remember in Romans chapter 8 that Paul wrote, those whom God foreknew, he also predestined, and those whom he predestined, he also called. And those whom he called, he also justified. And those whom he justified, he also glorified. Friends, in this chain of salvation, no one is lost. No one falls through the cracks, which means in some sense that God's call to salvation is effective. It works. It brings about the fruit he intends for everyone whose heart he opens to hear and receive the gospel. 
His call is fruitful. His call is certain. His call will be answered with faith. Now, at this point, lots of questions may be raised about how God calls and and how do we know if it's God calling or if it's just something I ate for lunch. But the only question that matters really this morning is, is God opening your eyes to the reality that you are perhaps not the perfect moral judge or the perfect moral actor that you once had thought? Or that your sin is far graver than you previously allowed yourself to believe? The question that really matters this morning is not is how God call, how does God call, but is God helping you right now to hear the gospel? Is the assertion that Jesus is the Son of God now maybe not so ridiculous as you once thought before? Is His death on the cross now somehow more compelling today? Perhaps the reality of His resurrection from the dead is ringing with greater volume in your ears and in your heart and with a more beautiful melody than you ever heard before. The question asked today is not, does how, is not how does God call or, or, or when does God call or why is it different from some people or the other. The question to ask today is, is God softening your heart? Which has been long hardened against faith to see that perhaps there is something in Christ to be desired. Do you find even now, dear friend, that you are compelled to believe in the person and the work of Jesus on the cross to bring forgiveness for your sins? Is there no small joy even now rising up in you at the thought of being united to Jesus Christ in heart and mind? If so, friend, God is calling you today. He's calling you now. Answer that call. Follow God's wooing. Answer His summons. Seek after Him as He leads you to His Son. The question for us is not, how does God call? And why does it work out this way for some and not for others? And why is it different for these people? and not for No, no, none of that. Let's not waste our time with that. Let's spend our time on the important question. Are you hearing God's call to trust Jesus today? Are you more aware of your sin than ever you have been? And are you, you, more, are you more aware of your, your need to walk with Jesus, to be saved by Christ who died in your place and was raised again than ever you have been before? And do you find even now a longing to believe where there never was any time before in your life? If so, friend, God is calling you. Answer it. Answer the call in faith. Say yes to Christ. Trust Him as Lord. The call to salvation is a divine call. But that's not, that's not all. Turn in your Bibles to Romans chapter 10, verses 13 through 17. There, the Apostle, writes, the Apostle Paul writes to the church in Rome. He says, For everyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. How then? will they call on him in whom they have not believed? And how are they to believe in him of whom they have never heard? And how are they to hear without someone preaching? And how are they to preach unless they are sent? As it is written, how beautiful are the feet of those who preach the good news. But they have not all obeyed the gospel, for Isaiah says, Lord, who has believed what he's heard from us? So faith comes from hearing, and hearing through the word of Christ. The call to salvation is a divine call, yes. But we also see time and again, over and over in Scripture, that the call to salvation is offered freely in gospel preaching. It's offered freely when people communicate the gospel to others. 
Romans chapter 10 is this section of Paul's letter where we see and we hear Paul's bleeding heart for the salvation of his fellow Jews. He he begins Romans chapter 10 this way, Brothers, my heart's desire and prayer to God for them, for my fellow kinsmen, the Jews, is that they might be saved. For I bear them witness that they have a zeal for God, but not according to knowledge. Being ignorant of the righteousness of God and seeking to establish their own, they did not submit to God's righteousness. For Christ is the end of the law for righteousness to everyone who believes. He goes on to say in verse 9 that if you confess with your mouth that Jesus is Lord, believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. For with the heart one believes and is justified. With the mouth one confesses and is saved. And as we saw in verse 13, everyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. Paul's heart is broken for his fellow Jews who have not seen yet, who have not heard yet with the ears of truth that Jesus is the Messiah they have long waited for. He is racked with passion and godly grief over the lostness of his fellow Jews. Desiring that they would personally know the Messiah that they had long waited for and had not yet come to understand was Jesus. What Paul wants more than anything is for his people, his kinsmen, to call on the name of the Lord and be saved. Of course, Paul knows that God must call to the hearts of Jews and Gentiles alike for them to be enlightened to the truth of who Jesus is. Paul knows that the call to salvation is a divine call, yes, But Paul also realizes that God does not call to the hearts of people in a vacuum. In fact, God uses means. He uses the efforts of human beings. He uses life circumstances to call to people. Specifically, as he tells us here in Romans chapter 10, God uses a specific means of gospel preaching to call to people. Here, Paul's longing in these verses. He is is effectively saying, I want my fellow Jews, to be saved in all the same ways that I'm saved, by trusting Christ, by knowing Jesus as Messiah. I want them to call on the Lord and be saved. But they can't. They can't call on a Lord that they haven't believed. And they can't believe in a Lord that they've never heard of. So for them to hear, someone's got to proclaim it to them. And I have, says Paul, and I will continue to do so. This is his life's testimony. But even still, more preachers must be sent because faith comes by hearing the true gospel, the word of Christ. That's how, part of how God calls, through gospel preaching. The call to salvation, Christians, we must affirm, is ultimately God's call by His Spirit to the hearts of sinners. But over and again in Scripture, we see that the call to believe, the call to trust Jesus, comes through human voices and faithful gospel preachers. Rarely, maybe never, do we see in Scripture God calling to anyone in a vacuum, without uh, calling them to salvation without anybody else preaching the gospel to them. Jesus sends out his disciples two by two in Luke 10 to preach the gospel of the kingdom in neighboring villages. We see Peter, the, uh, uh, the, the, the mouthpiece sort of, the spokesman for the disciples, preaching the gospel clearly in Acts chapter 2 and in Acts chapter 10. First to Jews in Jerusalem at Pentecost in Acts chapter 2. And then the Gentiles into Cornelius's, in Cornelius' house in Acts 10. We see Stephen preaching the gospel in Acts 7 as he is effectively standing trial and awaiting execution 
persecution by other Jews who have not believed that Jesus is the Messiah. In Acts chapter 8, when persecution comes upon the believers in Jerusalem and they scatter as they are dispersed throughout the Roman Empire, they go preaching the word, preaching the gospel. Philip the evangelist in Acts chapter 8, that same chapter, meets an Ethiopian eunuch on a road in a chariot and shares the gospel with him from the prophet Isaiah. And then we have Paul, blessed Paul, all over the place, just spewing the gospel everywhere he goes. In Acts chapter 13, in Acts chapter 16, and in Acts chapter 17, and just about any time Paul opens his mouth, he's doing it to preach the gospel and call people to faith in Jesus. And as this happens, as faithful followers of Jesus obediently open their mouths to proclaim the good news of who Christ is, we see people responding in faith to the gospel. Every time all over the place. They repent of their sin. They trust Christ. They're baptized publicly to declare their identification with Christ in his death and resurrection. And they walk in faith with others, proclaiming the good news that Jesus is Lord. And every place that the gospel is proclaimed, it is offered free of charge and without prejudice because it is for all people, Jew and Gentile, slave and free to hear and to know so that they might be saved. And so we have, again, this paradox in salvation, that the call to believe is given by God. It is ultimately a divine call. But it's never given apart from human preaching and a genuine invitation to believe. Is the call to believe the gospel, to come to Christ. Is it a human call or a divine call? And the biblical answer is ultimately a divine call, but at the same time, yes, In this way, Christians are Christians sort of serve in, in the kingdom and as God's people like Wi-Fi repeaters. Already, some of you have already tuned out. That's okay. Tune back in in a second. Those of you who care know what a Wi-Fi repeater is. In your house, you probably have Wi-Fi. You have an internet connection either through cable or, uh, uh, or DSL or satellite or something, and the, the internet connection comes in through a little modem, and that modem is probably connected to a, a Wi-Fi uh, router, a wireless router that sends a radio signal throughout your house that your phone and your, uh, your, your tablets, your computers can connect to, and you are plugged into the internet. But some of you have large houses, and the signal doesn't reach from the from the first wi-fi router to the farthest corner of your house and so in order to get that signal out there you set up a wi-fi repeater we had one in my uh, seminary dorm hallway all of us had one internet connection which was in my room and there were wi-fi repeaters at the end of each each other hall mostly because we were cheap and we didn't want to pay for that many different internet connections these wi-fi repeaters that we set up in other people's rooms did not receive a different internet connection They received the same one that originated from my room. And what they were tuned to was the radio signal from the original uh, uh, Wi-Fi router, the original antenna, the original radio signal. As that radio signal comes into that repeater, it, it hears that signal, it translates that signal, and then it repeats that same signal in its own sort of area. In this way, Christians are like Wi-Fi repeaters of God's call to salvation. The call is God's. It originates in him. But he calls us, as we see in several places, to be 
ministers of reconciliation, to be ambassadors for Christ, to be those who proclaim the good news as we make disciples of all nations. We take the same call of God that he gave to us, that he spoke into our hearts, trust Christ, and we, with the gospel on our lips, say to the world, trust Christ. The call that we extend to others who have not yet followed Jesus is no different from the call that God by his spirit reaches out to and summons the hearts of non-believers with. It's the same signal. It's not different from it. It originates in God and we just repeat it. So the call of uh, uh, the call to salvation is a divine call, yes, but that is repeated over and over and over again by human beings who have heard it and responded to it in faith who are connected to the source of life, who've been called out of darkness into his glorious light. It is our joy and privilege and Christian duty to proclaim that news, to repeat that call throughout creation as God also works by his spirit to draw people to himself. The call to salvation is a divine call that goes out freely through gospel preaching on the part of Christians to those who haven't come to trust him yet. Finally, I want you to know this morning, friends, that the call to come to Christ matters. Talking about this today is not just, it's not just meant meant to be a fun theological exercise to get our, you know, flex our mental muscles a little bit this morning and practice some theology. No, the call to come to Christ really matters. The fact that God calls through human preaching really does have meaningful significance for us. First of all, it shapes how we think about salvation. It's important that we think about this aspect of calling, how God calls us to salvation, because it shapes how we think about being saved, how we think about our redemption in Christ. This morning, Christian, know that if you have trusted Jesus as Savior, if you've given your life to him as Lord, you have not willed yourself to faith. Neither did you claw your own way out of the darkness of sin to the light of God's grace. You were not like Bane or Bruce Wayne in Batman, The Dark Knight Rises, who each clawed themselves out of that pit of despair by their own grit and gusto. That's not how that works. Christian, if you have been saved by God's grace, you have been saved by God's grace, by his gift. You've not willed yourself to salvation, but God in his mercy has called you to salvation thinking about the, that this week. I've, I've often uh, thought throughout this week and, and, and even just past times in my life, God, why would you call me? Why would you summon me? Why would you woo me to yourself? I know who I am. I ain't pretty, God. And I'm not particularly useful. I'm not a, especially charismatic. I'm not a particularly gifted leader. There's not a whole lot in me, God, that you could really use very productively. Why, God, would you call me? I know all the darkest things about myself, God. And you know them more. Why would you call me? To be totally honest with you this morning, Christian, I still don't know the answer to that. But I'm eternally grateful that he did. Eternally grateful that his love prevailed in my heart and won me to himself. Christian, if you know Jesus, the same is true for you. You may not know why God called you, but you can praise him that his love prevailed in your heart and won you to himself. So praise God 
that he called you, that he called me, and that he gave us a heart to respond. This call to come to Christ matters because it shapes how we think about salvation. It leads us to humility and and to worship and a right understanding of who God is. But at the same time, it also leads us to acknowledge the responsibility given to Christians to extend the gospel call to others. This is a calling and a ministry that Christ has given to his disciples. 1 Peter chapter 2, verses 9 and 10. Right? You are God's people made to proclaim His excellencies, the excellencies of Him who called you out of darkness into His marvelous light. Friend, if you are saved, if you have been given eyes to see the truth of Christ, ears to hear the gospel, a heart to respond in faith by God's own loving action in you, acknowledge, know this morning, that you have a responsibility to be an active repeater of that same signal, that same message to others as well. That you've been called out of darkness to light so that you can proclaim the excellencies of Him who saved you. This call to come to Christ matters. It shapes how we think about our salvation. But it also generates a heartfelt response. It's not just a a head thing. It's also a heart thing. This call to come to Christ matters. It, it, It works in us a real response, a real decision, one way or the other. To Christ. Now, for the non-Christian friend, know that as God is calling you to salvation today, that every time you hear the gospel truly spoken, even as we pray we've done faithfully today, that God's invitation to believe and to be redeemed is repeated to you. Every time you hear the gospel, friend who doesn't know Christ yet, you are hearing God's call to trust Jesus. If you hear it, don't ignore the call. I plead with you. Answer it in faith. Be changed. Be given spiritual life. Have your sins forgiven. Be made right with God. Come into union with Christ. The the call to salvation should bear out, is meant to bear out a heartfelt response in you. And not some sort of religious obligation like, oh, I have to go do this thing to make God happy. No. You do this thing because God is delighted to delight you in himself. So answer the call in faith. It brings about a heartfelt decision. And for the Christian, it also brings out a, a heartfelt response. A heartfelt response toward evangelism. A heartfelt response toward proclaiming the gospel that we have heard and responded to. It's a matter for our obedience, brothers and sisters. This doesn't mean that you have to become a career evangelist. It's not what that means. It doesn't mean that even every single conversation you have with someone who's not yet a Christian has to be about the gospel. That's not what that means. But it does mean that with every opportunity that we have to share the gospel, we must fulfill our calling to be ambassadors for Jesus, to be proclaimers of the hope that there is in him. And we don't have to do it perfectly. Friend, we just have to do it faithfully. I can't tell you the number of times I've tripped all over myself trying to share the gospel with people who don't yet know Jesus. And yet somehow or other, God makes sense of the mindless drivel that comes out of my mouth and ears of others. Do they always respond in faith? No, but that's not my job, right? My job is not to reach into their heart and to open it, to soften it, to give them eyes to see and ears to hear. No, that's God's work. My work, our work, is just to repeat the signal. Repeat it faithfully. Repeat it clearly. God uses the faithful preaching of Christians every day to call souls from darkness to his marvelous light. He uses even what we might consider the ineffective or ridiculous preaching of the gospel by relatively unequipped people who are just trying to be faithful to Jesus to call people from darkness to light. 
Friend, if you're not a particularly gifted communicator, it's okay. You can still be a faithful gospel preacher. Just repeat the signal that you heard. Repeat the call that that you have heard from God's word to others who need to hear it. You don't have to be the next Billy Graham or Louis Giglio. You don't even have to be anything close to Stephen Baum. In fact, there are many ways you could do better on that. Just be faithful. Just be faithful to preach the gospel. Be a faithful ambassador of Jesus. A faithful living road sign to water, to life, to bread for thirsty, dying, hungry souls. Make your heart ready to be a useful preacher. And by that I don't mean gifted. Just be useful. Be faithful. The call to salvation has, it should draw out in us a heartfelt response to share the gospel to others. But the call to salvation matters also finally this morning because it leads us to decisive action. It shapes how we think about salvation. It leads to a heartfelt response. It also leads us to make decisive action, to actually do something. Christian, understand this morning, if you have heard the call to trust Jesus and answered it with faith, if you call yourself a Christian, not because you go to church, but because your love is for Jesus supremely, you know that, that your forgiveness of sins comes only through him. Your righteousness with God is Christ's righteousness given to you as you've trusted in him. Good. Now go and get the gospel right and get the gospel clear. God has called us, Christ has called us to be ambassadors, to be ministers of reconciliation, to be repeaters of that same gospel call in all of the world. We must get it right and clear. A false gospel Friend, even a deluded gospel is not a saving one. Hear me. A gospel that says Jesus died on the cross so America can be awesome is not a gospel that saves. Hear me. A gospel that says Jesus died on the cross so you can be happy, friend, is not a gospel that saves. A gospel that says Jesus died for the sins of like mostly decent people, but certainly not for like the really bad kinds, not for like the Hitler types. There's no hope for them, of course. Friends, that's not a gospel that saves. Any gospel that is somehow diluted or false or perverted or different from the biblical gospel is not a gospel that saves. So Christian, work hard to get the gospel right in your own mind. Believe it rightly in your own heart so that you can communicate it clearly and truthfully to others because any other gospel will not save. It won't save. It won't save. Don't mess this up. And, and, and man, I didn't mean to get so passionate about this, but I do. Because listen, there are so many ugly, hell-derived perversions of the gospel rampant in our society today that it makes me want to vomit it's disgusting and and the let me just say there are two kinds that i think are really really bad right now there is the gospel that says jesus died on the cross to make america great again that makes me want to cuss in the pulpit i won't i hate it i hate it It's disgusting. Jesus didn't die for the Constitution. He died for sinners. To sinners who are broken 
and weary. And not puffed up with patriotic pride, but sinners who are broken and know that they have nothing in their hands to offer to a holy God. That's who Jesus died for. And the other perversion of the gospel is that Jesus died so we can all just be nice to each other. So that everyone can be kind and accepted and loved and just do whatever they want, however they want. That's why Jesus died. Baloney. He died to make sinners righteous. To call sinners to holiness. Which doesn't mean we get to go and be a jerk to everyone. No, we do live in kindness. We do walk in kindness by the the help of the Holy Spirit. That's part of what Christ does in us. But we also speak truth to a world that doesn't want to hear it. Christian, you need to get the gospel right in your own mind. Get it clear in your own heart. So you can proclaim it faithfully to others. So you can proclaim the gospel that really does save to others. Paul says at the beginning of his letter to the Romans, Romans chapter 1, verses 16 and 17, he says, I'm not ashamed of the gospel because it, the good news of Jesus, the biblical news of Jesus, is God's power for salvation to everyone who believes, first to the Jew and then to the Gentile. For in it the righteousness of God is revealed from faith for faith. As it is written, the righteous shall live by faith. The gospel is God's power for salvation. Get it right. Get it clear. Work on the gospel. Christian, practice the gospel. Make sure that you know as you communicate the gospel or work to communicate in clear ways that God is the creator of all things, that he is perfectly holy and worthy of all worship, and that he will punish sin because he is holy. Know and be able to communicate also that mankind made in God's image has become sinful by nature. From birth, we are alienated from God. We are hostile toward Him. We are subject to His righteous wrath because of our active rebellion against Him. And get right in your own mind, in your own heart, that God deals with these rebellious sinners this way, that He sends Jesus Christ, who is His only Son, fully God, fully man, to live a sinless life and to die on a cross to bear God's wrath in the place of all who would believe in him and that he rose from the grave to give people eternal life to everyone who would trust in him. Friend, get it clear and get it right that God calls everyone everywhere to repent of their sins, to trust in Christ in order to be saved. And he gives us the promise that if we turn from our sin and we trust in Jesus, if we trust in Christ, that we are born again to a new life and into an eternal life with God. Friend, get the gospel right and clear. Keep it pure, undistorted, unperverted. If you need help for this, return to your copy of the little black book that we give to every family who's a member of our church. What is the gospel? Go dig it out from whatever box you put it in in your garage and read it for real this time. Let it, let it give you clarity on the gospel so that you can get it right, so you can get it clear, so you can preach the saving gospel to those that need to hear it. The call of the gospel salvation gives us, it calls us to decisive action. First of all, to get the gospel right and to get it clear. And then secondly, to pray like we mean it. To be a people of prayer who, who intercede to God intently and incessantly for the lost to hear the gospel and to respond in faith. Listen, we're not talking about sharing the gospel 
as some sort in the abstract. In, we're talking about it like in the, in the reality, in the concrete. You know people, family members you're going to talk to this week, coworkers that you'll see uh, in the break room, fellow students at school that you'll talk with in the hallways and at lunchtime who don't know Christ and need to hear it from you, friend. So pray for them. Pray intently for them. Knowing that the call to salvation is ultimately a divine call, pray that God would reach into the hearts of those people who are lost, open their eyes, open their ears, soften their heart to hear the gospel that they might believe and be transformed. Be called from darkness into his marvelous light. Pray that God would make you a faithful proclaimer of the gospel because they can't call on a God that they don't believe in. They can't believe unless they hear and they can't hear unless someone preaches to them. So pray, God, make me a faithful preacher. This call to salvation should lead us to decisive action to pray. To pray for the lost by name. To pray for them regularly. To pray for them specifically. To pray for them through tears and with others if necessary. This truth is clear to us from God's word today. That God calls people by his spirit. And through the preaching of the gospel into fellowship with his son Jesus. We do well to answer that call. And to live in light of it with joyful conviction as we hold out in compassionate ways and with gospel clarity that same invitation to follow Christ, to believe Him, to trust Him with all of our life. This morning, we have opportunity to respond to God's Word in meaningful and even physical ways. In a moment, uh, I'll pray for us and you'll hear some music come over the sound system to lead us in a time of reflection and prayer and decision. In this time of response this morning, friend, if you're here and you're not yet a follower of Christ, if you need to respond to God's call to follow Jesus today, do it during that time. Use this time this morning to answer that call of God to salvation. Call out to God in a prayer of your own heart, recognizing your own sin against him and your need for a savior who is Jesus. Ask God to give you faith to believe that Jesus is his son who died for you and rose from the dead. Pray for God to forgive your sin, to give you a new heart and a new life that you might love and follow Him and commit yourself to following Jesus as Lord for the rest of your life. During this time of response, I'll be here up at the front. You come and tell me that that's what you need to do today. You need to respond to Jesus in a saving way today. You need Him to rescue you from your sin this morning. Let's talk about that. Let's pray about that together. Let me give you assurance of, of, of how you can know that you are truly saved by faith in Christ today. Use that time of response, dear friend, to answer the call to come to Christ. You who are Christians, who don't need to respond to Christ for salvation today, you've already got it in Him, praise God. Use this time of response to pray for the lost people in your life. And maybe for those who are in this room this morning who are thinking about making a decision to follow Jesus today, pray intently for them during this time. Pray for them by name. Pray for them specifically. Get together with family and other friends who, who are also praying for those same people this morning. Huddle around each other. Maybe come and pray at these steps if you want. I know they're a little bit dusty, but sawdust didn't hurt nobody. There's nothing magical about these steps, but sometimes it just helps to get on our knees before God and, and pray intently that he would answer our prayers for those who are lost. Pray through tears if it's appropriate this morning. Pray together with others, but this morning, use this time of response to pray like it matters because it does that God would reach into the hearts of those who don't know him and turn them to himself. God calls people by his spirit and through the preaching of the gospel into fellowship with Christ. 
we do well to respond to this truth with action. Praying for those who don't know Jesus. And friend, if you don't know Christ today, respond to God's call to salvation with an affirmative yes, with faith in him. Prepare your hearts now to respond in whatever way God is calling you, and we'll do that this morning.